Good morning, Overflow Church. How are you doing this morning? Man, I love my 11 a.m. group because you guys are always excited. Last service, they're like, oh, my. Y'all don't, don't want to be awake that early. Why don't you just come to, you know, second service? Anyways, uh, this is the, the Jesus group. I know that you guys love Jesus. You sleep in so that you can be excited about God's word, and so I'm so thankful. Hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but today is Baptism Sunday! And I am so excited for what God is doing. We already had three baptisms this morning, and so, man, we're excited that uh, we're going to be doing baptism uh, again this evening and by, but with uh, two amazing uh, uh, women which have uh, said, hey, man, we're, we're all in, man. We, we love Jesus, and we're all, uh, all in, and can't wait to introduce you guys uh, to these uh, two amazing women of God. Hey, um, just real quick, uh, some of you might be asking or wondering, hey, how does this baptism thing work here at Overflow Church? Sometimes you guys do like things like open baptism, which we're doing today. And so I, I just want to really quickly communicate the why behind what we do. So, so we really, you might come from a tradition that kind of has you going through something like catechisms, where you kind of learn a little bit about the faith and stuff like that. For us, we're not saying that tradition is wrong or, or whatever, or even you might come from uh, a, a tradition uh, where you just did baptism classes. We're not saying any of that is wrong. In fact, we, we do a baptism class here. But we believe also that we are following the New Testament model. And so in the New Testament, there wasn't like when you came to know Jesus, they weren't like, oh my goodness, now you have to go through these like seven classes. You know what they did? They're like, oh, there's some water. Come on. Like, let's go. And they baptized people right there and then. And so for us, we believe, man, man, once you say yes to Jesus, hey, we're, we're all in. We're all in. And, and the beauty about baptism is that it's not just you. That you're not just, it's not just your public proclamation, but what it is, is you're saying, hey, I want to be all in with this family, this local body here, and the church universal, that, that you become a part of something that's so much bigger than yourself, that you don't have to walk this journey uh, by yourself. And so, hey, listen, if, if that's you, maybe God has been stirring your heart, maybe you've never been baptized, and I want to say, like, hey, don't wait. Like, let, we want to celebrate you uh, this morning, and so uh, today as you're hearing the word and as, as the worship is going, and maybe God is just tugging on your heart, there's an opportunity uh, to, to come in and be baptized. We got clothes for you. We got towels. So there's literally no excuse. So we, we would love to just celebrate what God is doing with you. All right, that being said, we are in week four of our Who Cares series. Uh, going through the life of Jonah. Hopefully, you've been enjoying this this, this series. Um, it has been this the study for me going through the book of Jonah continues to give me these these clear pictures that hey, this is more than just a children's story. That there's so much more here, and if we would slow down, if we would take the time to dive into the text, I think we, we would unearth what God is really trying to say to us. So, with that being said, we're in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Jonah 
That's what the Lord, the word of the Lord says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? You know, that's the that's way I hear Jonah. This is what I tried to tell, foretell by fleeing Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There, he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and awaited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, and said it. It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, it is he said. I am so angry. I wish I were dead. I just love, sometimes you got to just stop and just read scripture. Isn't it funny? He's just arguing with God. Just, yes, I'm angry. <laughs> Give me back my plant, Jesus. <laughs> but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, what you've been doing throughout the series. I thank you, Lord, that you have been... Uh, uh, man, just putting this mirror to our face. I pray that uh, these words, your word, would not just be settled as mere head knowledge, that it would work down to our, hand, our heart and then to our hands and our feet, that we would walk out what it is that you're calling us to. I pray, Lord, that Elijah would move out the way, that I would merely just be the voice, Father God, of what it is that you have to say to your people, uh, no more, no less. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever uh, asked the question, how did I get here? How did I get to this place in this time? How did I find myself in this circumstance, in this situation? I think what you will find as we get to, through this book, especially as we get to chapter four, is this, this question that kind of uh, just lifts itself up from the text. How did I get here? Because if you remember, as we've been going through the series, we've been asking this question over and over again. We've been grabbing the mirror, right? I actually planned to, to have like a couple of mirrors on the stage, but last time I brought it, I noticed that like those lights were shining and then someone's I was seeing a light like glare on your faces. So I was like, well, you know, that might not be the best idea. But, but really all that was just to say like the book of Jonah causes us to pick up the mirror and ask the question, what does this book say about me? Am I seeing myself in what is happening here with these characters in this book? 
Is there a reflection of like who I might be? What does it say about us as a community of believers, people which are, would be considered God's people who love the Lord? What does it say about how we think about the world outside of us? We're prompted to look in the mirror, to, to take a real account of what is actually staring back at us. Not what we desire or not what we think we are, but who we truly are and what we find out that this is way more than just a children's book. Jonah deals with some really, really hard topics. It, it deals with nationalism. It deals with pride. It deals with sin. It deals with running away from God. It deals with racism. Like all this is in this book. If we would slow down and, and, and we would read it as it was intended and not just think this is a Veggie Tales story, right? That, that, that God is actually trying to get us to say, like, what is happening in my life? The question, how did I get here? Is I think one that we'll find Jonah asking and maybe we are supposed to ask. And it starts off with chapter four right here. Jonah is upset. He's upset because something happened that he did not expect to happen. Now, I want you to pause for a second because we know that in this book, this book is all about that. Right from the start in Jonah chapter 1, do you remember? Jonah is a prophet from God, okay? But we're supposed to be a little bit suspicious of him because, re remember, he's giving a little bit of shady prophecies that we kind of know, right? Like, he, it's, he's, he's kind of in the ear of King Jeroboam II, and, he's, and he's, he's telling him what he wants to hear. And so we're supposed to be already suspicious about this, this prophet, right, and, and the way that he kind of goes about it. And so there's already a little bit of an upside-down picture. And then he runs. He runs all the way to Tarshish. What do we say Tarshish was? Tarshish is in Spain. So in their day and time, this is the end of the earth, right? Like they, they don't know that uh, Christopher Columbus is going to, to uh, you know, do bad things in America. You know, hey, <laughs> hey, listen. So this is what's happening right there. Stuck right there. This is about the Bible, people. Stick with me. <laughs> and so, and so, like, here's, here's this story. Here's this, here's this, the story of Jonah. And already we're like, man, everything that I thought, I, I, I have an idea of how prophets are supposed to act. I have an idea how prophets are supposed to move. But he's doing the opposite. So we should not be surprised when we get to chapter 4 that Jonah is not acting like a prophet from God, even though he had this come to Jesus moment at the bottom in the belly of a fish, that he is acting weird, he is upset, and he is angry with God. I love the way one commentary, usually when I'm studying for sermons, I try to read about four or five different translations, and one of the translations which I found, I love the way it starts in the heading, before you even get to the verse, right, it says, I knew you would do that. I knew you'd do that. I know what you're, I know what you're like. 
Robert Alter, who's, who's actually a um, Orthodox uh, Jewish scholar, writes of this text that, that uh, uh, I think, uh, and gives us an image of what Jonah's true feelings are. See, if you read it in your translation, in most, most translations, NIV, CSB, whatever, KJV, it kind of gives this picture that, that Jonah is kind of dejected. He's frustrated with God, like, oh, man, I can't believe that you saved them, Jesus. No, that's actually not what is, uh, not Jesus, all right, Jesus hasn't been revealed yet. I can't believe that you saved them, Yahweh. <laughs> and so, <laughs> hey, listen, I'm in it today, okay? So stick with me. So he's, he's, he's frustrated. He's frustrated with God's character. And, and Robert Alter, the way he translates the Hebrew to the English is a little bit different than your translation. This is what he, he actually says. He says uh, that uh, he, that Jonah said that this thing is evil and that he was incensed. I want you to think about that. That he thought what God was doing was evil by allowing these people, the Assyrians, to get away with what they've been getting away with. And that he was angry at God. Can I stop there for a second and pause and, and just say this idea that, that I think you, you might be coming from a tradition that you probably feel like afraid to be angry at God. Anybody? I know when I was growing up, I, I felt like, man, if I say something, if I'm frustrated, if I don't just say, oh, man, God will, will see me through. It's okay. I'm going through, but he got me. And I don't ask the question, why, God, am I going through this? This isn't fair that somehow the lightning bolt will come and, and it will strike me on the head. I don't know about you, I, I've, I have lived life like that as a believer, and let me tell you something, it is not the God that we see in the Bible. Actually, over and over and over again, when you read the scriptures, what you find is that these people which have engaged with the God of the universe, Yahweh, actually have a lot of back and forth with God. That, that should actually give us a clue that we can come to God with all of our stuff. He already knows what's happening. We act like we're hiding it just because we don't say it out loud. He already knows what's happening inside. We can come to God and say, God, why? This isn't fair. I feel like you're wrong because guess what? God is big enough. He is not insecure in who he is. He is God all by himself. He hung the, the stars and the moons. He just said, let there be and there was. So why would I think my frustrations somehow are going to scare God? Oh, my God. He's like, oh, my me. <laughs> like, you guys are frustrated with me. What shall I do now? Like, that's not, that's not the God that we have. And what we see here is that actually through this book in chapter 4, what we find out is that Jonah actually really does understand who God is and his character. That you can come to God with all of who you are and say, but why? Why are you doing this, God? And let me tell you something. Jonah has every reason to be frustrated with God for doing what he did. I mean, he should be, right? Like, he's not wrong to be upset here. The Assyrians are wicked people. God called them wicked in chapter one. 
If you haven't been here throughout the series and you don't know why uh, he calls them wicked, let me give you a little bit of clue. The Assyrians are this, basically, they're the biggest bad guys in that day and time. They're the ones which are conquering everyone. And the way that they're conquering everyone uh, is in brutal fashion. They come through and they decimate lands and they make you be a part of them. And they do things like if you don't, if you don't listen to them, they impale you on poles. They fillet you with knives alive. And then the worst of the worst, they would stick hooks in you and hang you alive in the middle of the square so that they would know that that's the person that has disobeyed the Assyrians. Yes, Jonah has every right to be upset at these people. If that wasn't good enough, guess what's been happening right now? The people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, have been coming down from where they are in the northeast country down into the south where Israel is, and they have been displacing the people of Israel. They have been taking them for slaves. They have been killing the people of Israel. They have been rampaging and taking money from the people of Israel. Yes, Jonah has every right to be upset because these people are wicked. Not only that, though, Jonah did prophesy something. He prophesied to King Jeroboam II that God would expand his territory. So let me give you a little bit of historical context here. In nowadays and age, you can go on the TV, you see it all the time, and there's somebody standing on the TV and he says, hey, let me tell you something. I got a prophecy with your name on it. You just send me a couple of bucks. I'll send you some miracle water from Israel. Really, it's from the tap in the backyard. And then I'm going to send it to you, and I promise you, you will get an anointing. Well, in that day and time, it was a little different. (laughs) If you were a prophet in the Old Testament and your prophecy didn't come true, they took you out in the streets and they stoned you to death. Jonah has some reasons to be frustrated because he had prophesied that God would expand Jeroboam, this wicked king who is in the northern kingdom, who is leading his his people to do wicked things, that he would extend his territory. And so if the Assyrians, if they repent, that means they ain't going nowhere. That means I might have to go to the middle of the town. Somebody might have to pick up a stone. Yeah, Jonah has every reason to be frustrated here in this text. And if you are an early reader of Scripture, if you are an early hearer of Scripture, and you are listening to what is taking place right here, just put yourself in their shoes, right? The, the thing that you are thinking is probably the thing that Jonah is thinking, and the writers of Scripture want you to know that. And you are given an upside-down picture. The Assyrians should get it. What is happening here? It's like, you know, you get to the end of a show and there's the twist. Oh, my gosh, it's really her sister, not the wife. What? Right? Like, that's what's happening here. How is this possible? They're supposed to be the bad guys. And you are, you are hit in the face with this big idea. And Jonah is incensed. The Bible says that he thinks it is evil. He is incensed with what is taking place right here. Here's a question for you this morning. Have you ever felt like you are on the opposite side of God's plan? Anybody? 
Like you, you and God had this idea. Really, well, it was your idea, and you had God sitting there, and you had told God, hey, listen, God, listen, okay? Uh, I need you to go with me here, and I need you to bless me, okay? We good? I don't need you to talk. Just do what I'm saying. Okay, we going this way. And then you look up, and you're like, where, where, where is God? I thought we had a plan. He said he was going to bless me. God decided to go right. You decided to go left. Have you ever been there frustrated, feeling like, where is God? I I think Jonah finds himself in here. And I'm going to tell you the truth. We do this a lot, don't we? We, We're the type of people that, that want to be in control. You don't believe me, I'll go all the way to Genesis. Genesis shows like the original humans, the way that they uh, acted in the beginning. They're in the garden of, of Eden. God says, you can have all of this. All of this is yours, except this. And they said, what? You, we can have everything except this? Why not this? I, I want that too. And so what do they do? They choose to do what they want their way. And this is the story of human history. We continue to choose to do what we want our way. And we find ourselves in this cycle, and then we look up, and we're frustrated. God, why is there suffering in this world? Why, God, why is there hatred in this world? God, why is there pain? And we're looking up. God, I thought that we were going this way, and God is over there, and we are over here because we have chosen our own direction. We have chosen to be our own gods. And we are frustrated. You can see Jonah in this moment uh, frustrated with God because he has this picture. The readers of Scripture frustrated with God because we know who the bad guys are. And, 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 and you might not pray this prayer because you guys are Christians. You love Jesus. But, but I know I have secretly prayed this prayer in, in my heart. God, why aren't we on the same page? God, don't you love me? I'm trying to do your will. And your will kind of looks like my will. And if you would just do this, then we would be together. But it doesn't seem like you want to be together. But, but, but we are given this glimpse in the text that Jonah knows what God's will is. He knows who God is. He knows God's character, doesn't he? Right? How, how do we know that? Go jump down to verse 2 with me. Listen to the way uh, Jonah communicates this in, in the scriptures. He prayed to the Lord. He said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Boom, stop right there. Again, this is another one of those moments. Remember, if you're reading the text, the original context, if you're hearing the text in the original context, this is another turn. Wait, I I thought that you were running, Jonah, because you're afraid of the Assyrians. They're wicked people. They're going to kill you. You don't want to go there, right? Honestly, and if you watch kid stories, that's what the kid stories tell us. He didn't want to go there because they're killers. No, Jonah says, I didn't want to go there because I knew who you were. I knew what kind of person, what, what your character was. He says, I did it. Well, this is the reason why I basically ran to the end of the earth. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. 
wait a second, that's, that's a different picture. And, and so Jonah's saying, I am not caught off guard. I am not caught off guard of who you are. I knew who you were. I knew you would do this and that at the first opportunity you would show that you are what? Gracious, compassionate, long-suffering, and full of love. That even in your justice, your character is always there. This is what we see here in this passage. Jonah is frustrated at who God is, not at at what we think God is supposed to be. He is frustrated at the picture of this God who is good. So Jonah does what we all do when we are upset at God. What my four-year-old does when he's upset at dad. He took up his toys, went to the side of the room, and just pouts. Well, I can't believe God is going to, you know, I'm away here because I know I got it all together. He, he literally goes, he sits in the city after God has already, we remember we read chapter three last week. God has relented. He's forgiven them, right? Like not just the people, but the cows. Like you're supposed to be like, what? Even the cows are out here bending the knee? Like what? Like he, he, is, he is incensed. How could this happen? See, I have a, a, a picture of who can get uh, your grace, who can get your compassionate mercy, who can get that kind of love that you give out, right? And these people, no, they, they can't get it. He sits there frustrated, frustrated at who this God is and, and what he is, and I know what kind of God he is. He sits there, and, and the Bible says it is hot. Remember, this is the Middle East. It is hot. And, and all of a sudden... As he's sitting there, there's a, God grows up a plant. And as he grows up this plant, it gives him shade. And the Bible says he is pleased with it. And he's like, yeah, God loves me. I must be good. So I will sit here and watch these people be destroyed. I want you to think about the cognitive dissonance that's happening in, in Jonah's life right now. I'm going to sit here and enjoy God's grace, even though God has given me clarity. I'm going to sit here and wait to watch him destroy my enemies. The Bible says God sends a worm. It eats the plant. The the plant uh, starts to wither. Then he sends a a hot, uh, uh, a heat wave, and it burns up the plant, and, and it goes away. And now he is at this place, and he's like, I just want to die. Here's the thing about the plant. If, if we... Uh, move too fast past the text, and I've been talking about this over and over again, we miss what is actually happening here in this passage. Because I want you to think about this. Jonah, in his rebellion, is still receiving the grace of God from the harsh heat winds. Jonah, in his wickedness, is still receiving the grace of God in these harsh heat winds. And the truth is, we are supposed to stop and look in the mirror and say, who does this look like? Because, guys, I want you to think about this. Uh, When we're talking about the wicked people in this place, they're supposed to be the Ninevites. But, man, it really, really does look like Jonah is the most wicked person in this book right now, doesn't it? Like, he's sitting here, 
enjoying the grace of God, even though he's being disobedient. He's like, God, you're wrong. I'm right. And he's sitting here wanting other people to be destroyed as he's enjoying the grace of God. And he, does, he can't even understand what is even happening right now. It's funny because for the children of Israel, as they pull up the mirror, Remember, what's happening back in Israel, in the northern kingdom, they are being wicked. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're serving other gods. They're, they're, they're being disobedient to God. They continue to walk further and further and further away from God. Yet, I talked about it in chapter 1. The, the northern kingdom right now is experiencing some of its most fruitful season that it's ever received. So somehow God's grace is still on Israel and they're looking and they want the wicked people to be destroyed, but they are the wicked ones. Just like Jonah wants the Ninevites to be destroyed, but right now he is the person who's acting wicked. And I just wonder, I just wonder how many of us behave like this. It's easy. We want people that we do not like, that we are frustrated with. You know, those family members, those co-workers, those uh, uh, people on the outside that do us wrong. We want them to be destroyed. God, won't you send down lightning? We laugh at the sons of thunder, but man, we act like it. God, you said you will prepare a table before my enemies. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That person right there, they're my enemy. That person too. I want you to prepare multiple tables. Someday I'll preach a passage on that verse, and uh, it will mess your mind up. Because a table in the Old Testament actually stands for and is actually a reflection of reconciliation. So when God says he will prepare a table in front of your enemies, he's actually saying he wants to reconcile you to— Oh, I'm sorry. That's not that sermon. I'll leave that for next week. We, we talk about it. We act this way. We want God to destroy those while we are experiencing the grace. And let me tell you something. When you pull up the mirror, we look a lot like Jonah. Frustrated at people, yet God, we are accepting the good grace that God is giving us. How he's restoring us. And you want to know something? I'm sorry, I got to get on my soapbox here. You want to know what is so sad? A few years ago in the 2020s, yeah, The children of God were doing this. Oh, you vote this way? Oh, you vote that way? Or you wearing masks? Or you do this? You must not be that much of a Christian. You must not have that much faith. You must this. You must that. You must this. You must that. And we were fighting with each other. And we were saying, God, destroy them because they're wicked. While we were receiving God's grace. We were receiving God's goodness. On our lives. How, how crazy is this? When we look up the picture, it, we, we definitely look like Jonah here. As if God doesn't have grace enough for everybody. We're, we're angry. We're, we're frustrated at those because we feel like we have it all together. And when we would just look in the mirror, what we realize is we're just as messed up as the people on the other side. And God has got enough grace for everybody. We, none of us have a place to stand on and act like we have it all together. And the problem with the 2020s that I believe and it's exposed our church to, I'm talking about the church universal, is that we thought that we could send, uh, sit under that canopy that God has provided for us 
and that we could be judge, juror, and executioner. When God was calling us to, to reflect the type of grace that he's given to us, to those who needed it. What Jonah didn't understand, here it is, that God's love is big enough for outsiders to become insiders. That God's love is big enough for outsiders to become insiders. You don't believe me? Here it is. Let's go to the text. God says it himself. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am so angry. I wish I were dead. God said, hold on a second, son. Let Let me tell you about yourself. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And and should I not have concern over the great city of Nineveh? Okay, I want you to pause right there. I'm going to take you back to last week. Remember, the English translation, the pure English translation, sometimes it gets lost because the great city is not our best translation in context right? In the Hebrew, in context, what it is more than likely trying to communicate is this translation. Remember, a city that is important to me. A city that is important to me. So here it is, right? And should I not have concern for a city that is important to me called Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand? What you mean, Jonah? You upset about a plant? You upset about the grace that I've given you? What, what do you mean, Israel? You, you're upset that the Assyrians, uh, 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 like I'm giving them grace, even though you're just as wicked as they are? And I've been giving you grace? And I love the way this book ends. It ends like this. Jonah sitting down having to ask the question, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did my heart turn like this, even though I'm supposed to be somebody who loves God, I'm supposed to be sent by God, you are meant to sit in that tension. You don't get any, uh, any, and this is how it ended. And everybody came together and they held hands and they sang Kumbaya and everybody was happy. The end, no, you are meant to sit with that cliffhanger and meditate on the scripture. How did I wind up here? How is my heart so hardened? Because here's the, here's the funny thing. Jonah fully knew who God was and the grace of God and how God responded We talked about it, right? That God is the kind of God that's big enough to bring outsiders to to become insiders. This is what what has happened. We know that. He said, I knew who you were. That's the reason why I ran. Oh, man. But, But it gets so much better. You know how he knew? Remember, I told you to hold on to this idea. I'm going to walk you through really quickly. I'm going to try to do it in two minutes. Joel just laughed at me. He's like, no, you're not. Okay, here it is. Okay. Exodus 33, 17 through 21, right? There's a great preacher. Uh, his name is David Shemenda. I think he's my dad. I don't know. He preached a message in the summer. He said it was called, show me your glory. Right after that passage is this. Moses is talking with God, 
right? He's having this conversation with, with God, God, and he says, God, show me your glory. I will not go unless you go with me. And, and, and so he's, he's having this. He's like, okay, then God, you know what? Uh, show me your presence, Show me your presence. I, 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 want, I, want, I want to be, I want to see you, God, right? He says, show me your glory. This, this translation really, what he's trying to say is, I want to see your face. I want to see who you are. The Lord said to him, verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause my wrath to pass over you. Is that what he said? No. He says, he says I will cause my fury and judgment to pass over you. No. He says, I will cause my goodness. Ooh. I will preach. I'll, I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. He says, the Lord, he says, I will proclaim my, my, my name, the Lord in your presence. I have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Woo! Oh, oh! you thought this thing was about you, children of Israel? No, no, no. I told Abraham in, in the beginning that through you, I would, I would restore all the nations of the earth. And he's reminding the children of Israel in one of the most important times in their story that this story is not about you. You're just a part of the story. So you don't get to sit on your high horse and look down at everybody. That's, that's what this passage is. And then God does something amazing. Now, remember, in this story, and I'm going to push past it because I'm running out of time. In this story, God says, I will, I will cover you, I will hold you in the cleft of the rock. Because you cannot see my face. Because if you see my glory, if you see the fullness of my goodness, translation, this is what's going to happen. You're going to die. Right? You're not ready for that. So even in your foolish, broken, sinful nature, I'm going to hold you up and you're going to see a piece of my glory. All right, jump, jump to chapter 34, and the Bible says, and then God passed by. So remember, Moses only seeing a partial piece of the glory of God. He passes by, and he declares his name to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord. Here, pause for a second. The word, the Lord, the Lord, when it's capitalized, the translation really is Yahweh, Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God. Oh, this sounds familiar. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining, thousand, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin and the parents for the third and fourth generation. Here it is. Jonah fully understood who God was. He understood in verse chapter 33 in this most pivotal time in Israel's history that God is the kind of God that will give mercy to anyone who will break the cycle. What was the cycle? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Sin, turn away from God, exile. And if you would just, what? Repent. God will do what? Restore. That's what's happening here in the text. Jonah knew, and that's the reason why he runs, because he doesn't want that for what? His enemies. So, so he says, oh, wait a second. I, I know what kind of God you are. You're compassionate. You're rich in love. You're, you're merciful. Like, I don't want that. What I want is you to behave the way that I want it. And he still experienced the goodness of God. Moses still experienced the goodness of God, but they only experienced the partiality of the goodness. Here. But I love it. Because guess what? 
We needed that. Worship team, you can come up. We needed that goodness from God because we were just like the Ninevites. We are just like the children of Israel who have to pick up the picture. And in John 14, the disciples are literally having this discussion about wanting to go where God is. And when God said, I'm going to prepare a place. And God is saying, listen, listen, listen to me, guys. I, I, what I got to do, I, I'm, I'm about to do something that's going to break the chains. Because uh, your, your ancestors could only see a partialness of the goodness of God. Remember, what did I say? The, the scriptures tell us, he says, if you cannot see my what? Face. Or you will die. And Jesus says to his disciples as they're asking, God, where are you going? As he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place. As he's saying, I want to give you the fullness, not just a partial treatment of my goodness. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen what? The Father. That, that you don't just get to experience, you, get to, you don't just get to experience what Jonah experienced. You don't just get to experience what Moses experienced, but you get the full thing. If you have seen me, I am the embodiness of the goodness of God. And so in your wickedness, in your brokenness, in your desire to be on the high horse, I will pour my goodness on you. I will pour my goodness and I will show you fully who I am. Look at my face. Look at my face. Look at my goodness. See God eye to eye. And so what does Jesus do? He pierces heaven and earth and he comes and the Bible says that he moved into the neighborhood and he put on flesh. And when everyone was defiled by sin, he lived a perfect life and he died a sinner's death. Come on, overflow. I want to preach this morning. But he, he died until death had died. He, he died until uh, death was broken and the, gang, the grave began to scream and said, I give up. He died till sickness fell at his knees and demons began to shake. But he didn't stay dead. Come on. He, he rose. He rose with all power in his hands. He, he rose uh, with, with all might and he bestows it upon the church. He says, all authority has been given to, you, to me. Oh my goodness, I feel like preaching. I want 30 more minutes. I know I said two. I want 30 more minutes. That word authority in the Greek is the word exousia. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It means, it means uh, uh, a power that is gifted. It's different. It's not a power that, that you can keep. It is a power that God has given. He said, all authority has been given to me. And so now I give it to the church. Why? Whew. So that now you can reflect my goodness. We have a God that will make an outsider an insider. And it is our job to reflect who God is in the most broken places, in the places where people feel attached and detached. And how dare we, as the children of Israel, Israel I mean, children of God, sit in our high places as we have the canopy of God's grace over our lives, say you don't deserve it and you don't deserve it. When God said on the cross, everyone who would come and turn gets to experience my goodness. This is the story of the gospel there on display. So, my hope is that 
when we sit at the end of this book, we, we ask the question, how did I get here? Is my heart so twisted for my neighbor, for the person which I am frustrated with at work, in my family, person I do not love, is my heart so twisted that I cannot see the grace that has been bestowed on me is supposed to be bestowed on them. That is what we're supposed to ask. So, this is what I'm going to ask you to do with every head bowed, every eye closed. You might be in this room. I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you're at. But first, I want to say, listen. God wants to meet you where you're at. He wants to restore you. And he has so much grace for you. And so if you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, I'm not telling you to enter into toxic relationships. I'm not telling you to to put yourself in a place where you can be harmed. What I'm telling you is if you hold bitterness, the same wickedness that is plaguing those people on the outside is also plaguing you. I'm saying give it to God. Release it. It is not yours to bear. We have a God that is big enough who will take on that challenge for you. If you are in this room, second point, and maybe, just maybe, you do not know Jesus. Maybe you've been running away from him. Here it is. We have a God who has shown you his face and his name is Jesus. And so it is for anyone who would repent because you will be restored. If that is you, on the count of three, I want to give you that opportunity. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And just by you saying, hey, I'm in. Amen. Just like these amazing women did last week, which we're about to celebrate in baptism. You want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So one, Jesus loves you. Two, you'll never be the same. Three, welcome to the family. If that's you, just raise your hand up quickly and put it down. Awesome. Awesome, 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 awesome. What an amazing testimony of the goodness of God. How he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these hearts. May we reflect the goodness, the same goodness that has been graced on us. May our hearts never become tangled and destructive. But may we, Father God, be pictures of grace in Jesus' name.